You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name, Milwaukee Bucks reporter at ESPN Wisconsin. Joining me as always is my good friend and the founder of Brew Hoop, Frank Madden. And Frank, we are going to give the people what they want today. Everyone has been dying for this conversation. We've gotten a free bu- pizza. <laughs> I don't have any free pizza. Nope. That's, oh. that's, that's inaccurate. Um, but what people have been asking for is for us to talk about coaches. The Bucks have um, not officially at this point, not officially. Let me just make that very clear. Um, but in his exit interviews, Joe Prunty did mention the fact that he would be a candidate for the job and he would get a chance to interview and he would apply. Um, so let's just say that the Bucks uh, coaching position is um, open-ish at the moment and may become actually open uh, in the coming weeks. So with all of that being said, I got Eric Benning, who I'm calling the coach whisperer, in to kind of talk about all the different coaching candidates and all of the, you know, just uh, attempting to to compile as much information as possible for Bucks fans to learn more about possible coaching candidates. And in doing so, we spent quite a bit of time on um, assistant coaches and guys that you might not know a lot about um, and tried to help, you know, kind of inform that conversation. And we started our conversation and we talked a little bit about, you know, coaches that might be fired or have been fired or might be of interest to other people. Um, And we talked briefly about those, and you'll still hear that in our conversation that's coming up here. Um, But Frank, what I wanted to do with you was, I think one of the things that we kind of touch on in the podcast is why former or current head coaches, guys that have had these positions before, may or may not be attractive. And I guess let's... Let's just talk about Mike Boonholzer, um, because uh, I think guys like Doc Rivers, Frank Vogel, I think have enough warts um, that maybe we don't need to spend a ton of time on them. Uh, do you feel okay with me in that assessment saying that? Yeah, and um, you know, I, I was once a Vogeliever as well. Uh, I think that dream is is dead. And Agreed. good luck to you, Frank Vogel. Um, and Doc Rivers, just I, I just I just can't. We can't go from Doc River, from Jason Kidd to Doc River. Doc Rivers feels like the more like like a more fully formed Jason Kidd on some level, um, and I just I just don't have the I don't have the intestinal fortitude to, to deal with a, a Doc Rivers regime, especially because he's technically still the head coach of the Clippers right sure. now. Although I suppose four years ago Jason Kidd was still the head coach of the, of the <laughs> Nets. So anyway, technically, yeah, that's fine yes. with me. Um, okay, so then we'll talk a little bit about about Mike Budenholzer. This is someone who. Um, because hashtags are always something that'll be around Bucks t- Twitter. I've seen uh, a number of higher bud hashtags and uh, stuff like that. So 
I guess, where do you land on Mike Boonholzer? He's someone who we've kind of referenced in the past. And the last time that we referenced him, I believe it was Kevin Arnvitz and Zach Lowe got together for a midseason podcast. And I guess maybe it had been a little bit before the middle of the season, December, January. Jason Kidd was still the head coach in Milwaukee. And they talked a little bit about Jason Kidd and what he was doing in Milwaukee and then some of the other guys and what they were doing. And they brought up, Budenholzer because they were kind of going through aggressive defenses and whether or not those work and uh, tactics and how the league is changing and things like that. And Budenholzer was one of those guys that was brought up. And from that moment, I've kind of had a a bit of a sour taste in my mouth thinking about Mike Budenholzer and, you know, what he might be as a head coach going forward. Um, And then obviously in the last week, he was able to figure out a way to mutually part ways with the Hawks. And now he's someone on the top of people's lists. And I guess for me, that's always something that, that I kind of have in my mind, if that makes any sense. Uh, Just because I think, it's tough to go through four years of Jason Kidd and then think that the Bucks would hire a coach even the slightest bit like Jason Kidd, um, if that makes uh, any sense at all. And I know I was talking a little bit with Adam McGee uh, at Behind the Buck Pass the other day, uh, a little bit about Boonholzer and, you know, what he's like. And he's done some stuff with the Hawks. He's a Hawks fan or a Hawks writer at various points. So he was kind of attempting to help school me a little bit on on Boonholzer and you know he was talking about how he's malleable and you know they do run some aggressive defense but at times they could be more conservative and that you know sounds a little bit more attractive so where's your head at with Mike Boonholzer Eric and I did not give him a ton of time on uh during our conversation so I wanted to to give us a little bit more time with him here yeah I think in our heads um you know, like we may, we may have ideas of like what we'd want, in, especially in an established head coach, like what we'd want them to bring to the table. And it'd probably be some variant of like somebody who has shown that, you know, they're especially given what we saw in the playoffs, like, well, switching defenses seems like a thing that the Bucks should probably do more of, especially, you know, with Thon Maker. And I saw a stat from the uh, stat today about basically Thon, I think, was second among uh, centers in effective field goal percentage allowed on switches this year, um, which is funny because I mean, he was pretty bad this year you know this is not in the just the playoffs this was all season um but even so like and the, the rare occasions when they let him switch i think it was like a couple hundred possessions um you know he was actually still effective in that way so yep. i think this idea that like the next coach like should have a more conservative style where you switch more you're you know not blitzing you're not doing things that that can lead to high you know high uh, likelihoods of of open perimeter shots those are the kind of things that would typically you know i think we've all sort of been um, scared, scared straight on. If that makes sense, like <laughs> yeah. like Bucks fans, based on just the the kid experience, like we we feel like oh we can't do that, can't be aggressive. Um, but as we I mean we talked about it last year and we brought up the Hawks from time to time. You know, just because the Bucks played aggressively, like the big problem wasn't necessarily the Bucks playing aggressively so much that the Bucks just couldn't play any defense well. Um, and you know, again, like just. Switching tactics here and there didn't necessarily mean that they were going to suddenly be a good defense, and certainly that's you know roughly what we saw. So you look at Budenholzer. I think defensively, tactically, like I don't know if he would do stuff that might make us say next year, like why? Oh God, they're doing this. Why? Why aren't they doing that? You know, like again, I realize as fans, we always look for things to complain about when our team ever loses a game. Um, but 
the results are actually there, right? I mean, this past season, obviously, they weren't good in general. They were going through a rebuild. But overall, um, you know, he did have some very good defensive tools. And, you know, he had Horford for part of his time in, in Atlanta. He had Millsap for a big chunk of his time in Atlanta. Um, and they were mostly very good defenses, right? He had a slew of, of top 10 defenses that were very effective. And and ultimately, that's what we want, right? I mean, yeah. you want a top 10 defense like that. I, I don't care how you, you know, play a zone, you know, if you can get a top 10 defense, uh, I don't really care how you do it at this point after what we've seen from the Bucks. So I think that's, that's you know, one of those things that's a little bit weird, but I'd say still a positive. And then offensively, it's kind of interesting. Other than the year when they won 60 games, he was sixth in offensive rating. Um, but other than that, I mean, they haven't really had very good offenses. But on the flip side, they haven't really had very good offensive players either necessarily. Um, you know, Paul Millsap and Cal Corver and Al Horford uh, – you know, those were kind of the key guys. Jeff Teague on that 60-win team, that was great offensively. Uh, but, you know, none of those guys are superstars. None of those guys are, like, the fulcrum of, like, some incredible offense. And so, you know, the fact that they were good when they had, like, a lot of good, you know, deep talent um, is encouraging. And, again, I think the main thing is, you know, he seems to have kind of figured out ways to play, you know, creative basketball um, and again, like, you know, I don't think anybody has looked at the way Budenholzer coaches and says like, oh, like that's just like grinded out, like boring, like horrible to watch basketball necessarily. Um, so I, again, I don't know. I mean, I don't know enough about Budenholzer to say like, oh, this is the set that I want him to use with Giannis or, or whatever. Right. Um, it, it, there's, there's kind of a lot more that we'd have to really do research on and you have to see kind of how it would fit. Cause you know. I don't even know if they would want to use, you know, the pet sets he had in Atlanta. Like, do you even use those with the Bucks personnel? Who knows, right? It's, yeah. it's a different system. Um, but fundamentally, you know, he generally got his teams, I think, to achieve at least to their talent and at times well above their talent. And that's that's fundamentally the first job of a coach. And I think beyond that, you know, the whole the, the fact that Hawks University was a thing, and if anybody isn't familiar with that term, just this idea of they took a lot of guys, and some of them were, were rookies and young players. Other of them were, were guys kind of more in the middle of their career. And they got them to play it at higher levels. They got guys to max out their abilities. You know, you look at a guy like Damari Carroll, who came over there on a really cheap contract, and well, a couple years later gets a $15 million a year contract and leaves for Toronto. And you know, hasn't really been the same guy since. He's had some injuries. But um, but again, in, in, Cle- in Atlanta, figured it out. And... You know, a guy like Tim Hardaway kind of lost his way a little bit, but then ultimately figured it out in Atlanta. And, you know, was was praising of a lot of the things that um, that Budenholzer did and kind of helping him kind of rediscover himself um, during his last year in Atlanta. And, you know, the list kind of goes on and on of, of guys that have, um, you know, done well, developed, maxed out their abilities. And again, for that comment you made recently about what do good coaches do? They get the most out of role players. Certainly that is an area where, um, where Budenholzer has done well. And, you know, again, you look at a lot of the guys that, uh, that they've had, um, they've had a lot of guys, you know, kind of a lot of like rotation guys who generally have done pretty well. And, and obviously that was especially the case when, when they were playing great. I mean, Cal Corver was an all-star, right? When, yeah. when he was, when he played for Mike Budenholzer. So, um, so I, again, I think, you know, he's, he's a guy who, uh, you know, he's not like a Stan Van Gun- or a Jeff Van Gundy who hasn't coached in the league in a decade or something like that, right? I mean, he's a guy who's had success recently. He understands obviously the modern game, and I think the most important thing though is that th- there's no there's no certainty with any of these coaches. I mean, you know, 
we obviously as fans, especially with assistants, and again, I, you know, I haven't done the research. I won't even try to claim much insight into the guys who are assistants now. But I mean, these things tend to be kind of coin flips, you know, like whether a guy really works out in a city. It, so often it tends, it tends to be a coin flip regardless of how experienced the guy is. And you just can't always anticipate the way things are going to work out. You know, Mike D'Antoni, great coach in New York, didn't work out. In L.A., didn't work out. Yep. You know, you give even really good coaches bad rosters, they can't always figure it out. Obviously, I think Budenholzer's argument would be that he can work with different types of rosters. So, I don't know. I guess we'd see if wherever he goes next, if that's the case. Um, but I think, you know, fundamentally, if he's a guy who can get the most out of talent and develop talent, um, that is essential, an essential starting point for a Bucks team that has a lot of young guys who have kind of stagnated or, you know, the Bucks fundamentally need them to be more than maybe they might appear to be right now because, again, the Bucks don't have a ton of flexibility. So so that's, a, I think, a huge selling point. If I'm Mike Budenholzer and I come in for an arg- for a, uh interview, that's kind of the first thing I'm talking about is how – I'm going to bring in my approach for building culture and developing young players and blah, 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 because that's been a, obviously a problem in Milwaukee, i.e. the Bucks' last four first-round draft picks and how little <laughs> they've generally been contributing the last couple of years for various reasons. So um, so I think that'd be kind of my starting point. Um, but again, I, is Mike Boonholzer a slam dunk? No. Um, but again, like, is he the safest option? I think he's probably the safest option of these guys. Because he's not a t- traditional retread like like some of these guys. Um, you could argue Fizdale maybe isn't a traditional retread either, but Fizdale hasn't had the same level of success as a head coach as Boonholzer. And then you know the the assistant types obviously are guys that um, you know are just far less known commodities. So I think you know again if you're viewing this through the lens of the Bucks have two years to convince Giannis to sign a supermax extension in the summer of 2020. He'll be a unrestricted free agent in 2021. That is their timeline for basically being good enough to, to impress Giannis. Um, you know, you got one shot at this, basically, right? You got one shot with this coach that you're either going to get a guy who helps keep Giannis or helps push Giannis away. And again, I'd, I'd feel fine with Budenholzer just because I think I have a pretty good feeling that he's a good head coach. And again, I'm sure a number of these other guys are going to be very good head coaches. And odds are at least one of them is going to be a better head coach than Budenholzer. But do I know which one of those guys it is? Do I know that he's going to be that guy in the next couple of years? That's the part that I think is uh, is tougher to, to project forward. I think so. I guess that was. Can I just go all the negatives on Budenholzer since you went yeah. overwhelmingly positive? I'm just trying to figure out how to yeah, yeah. frame this and not take up a bunch of time doing it. Um, to me, I think the the major concerns I'd have offense never being particularly great. Obviously, they had that year where they were about, was it sixth in offensive rating when they yep. kind of had their, was that four all-star, five all-star, whatever that season was where it was just crazy and they were getting production out of everyone. Outside of that, they haven't been great offensively. They have been pretty high in three-point attempt rate, which is nice to see, obviously, um, after Jason was in town. Um, so that is a, is a good thing. But to me, one thing that... I put pretty high on my list is has this person worked with an offensive hub like Giannis Adetokounmpo and not like the exact same player as Giannis because there's not many players like Giannis, but uh, such a dominant overwhelming uh, offensive force. And with Boonholzer, I think you have that question. So like you have to wonder 
what does he do with that guy? How does he maximize him? Because obviously all the maximizing of other talent is great, but um, I think there's also a large part of the job is maximize Giannis, put Giannis in the best spot, and that will help you keep Giannis in two years, like you said. So that's one thing that I'd be very... I'd be very curious about. And then the biggest thing and the reason why I tend to gravitate towards assistance is we've talked about this before, but it was on our last mailbag. We talked about, you know, where does the dysfunction from the Bucks come from? Where, how how do they write that? And I mentioned that I thought it, it came from the top. Right, that it, it came from ownership, and uh, you you kind of think through these things, and you have a governor seat that is going to rotate here again uh, after this year. I think it is that would be five years that they'd be owning. So uh, then we'll go over to Mark Lazary from West Edens, and I guess from there they brought in a coach in Jason Kidd who they didn't tell the GM about before they hired. He came in and then there was the obviously the strange dynamic between who's in charge here, who's picking personnel, is it Hammond, is it Kidd? How does this all work? And I've this is this is my personal opinion. I feel like knowing basketball personalities in the way that I do, knowing egos in the way that I do and knowing egos in millions and billion dollar corporations um if i come in and see and this goes for boonholzer or any other coach that has any modicum of experience in the nba if he comes in and sees john horst the (laughs) youngest and lowest paid general manager in the nba how much respect do you think he gives him and again, like that, that's just a general question for every head coach. And there may be a world where it works out and Mike Boonholzer, David Fisdale, whatever, Doc Rivers, whatever coach that comes in, there's a world where they come in and say, okay, I'm just going to coach. I'm excited to get the X's and O's and figure out the best way to use Giannis and the great way to create a defense and how to win basketball games. There's a world where that happens. There's also a world where they see that general manager and say, you know what? I'm in charge here. Also, I'm paid way more than that guy. So you brought me in to create culture, to get wins, to go out and do this. So I'm in charge now. Um, John Horst, I'm the captain now. Um, that moment could very well happen if you bring in that guy. So for me, this is why I lean towards assistant coach, a guy that hasn't had an NBA job before, because one, you can still get those innovative ideas and you can uh, kind of get uh, the things that you want, but the hierarchy is very clear. General manager John Horst reports to the owners, the coach, coaches the team, reports to John Horst, and Everything is in line and everything makes sense. So, and I've seen a number of Bucks fans say, well, this means the Bucks need to hire a president of basketball operations and get a new GM. And, you know, maybe that is the case. I don't necessarily care in what order those things go. I don't think John Horst has proven that he is incapable as a general manager. I don't think he's proven that he should be fired as a general manager. I just think the Bucks need to get their ducks in a row and figure out how all of that works. And I just fear hiring a coach that has a lot of experience, um, who has any 
amount of clout um, who's done this before. Um, and in Boonholzer's case, a guy that was president of basketball operations. And again, you and I talked about before the podcast, like it ended up happening because, you know, Danny Ferry was a racist and got taken out of the position <laughs> and like all yeah. of that happened. Um, but like it did happen. This is a guy that has had president of basketball ops experience before. Same thing with Doc Rivers. So I don't know. That that to me is the biggest negative of going after another guy. And I would assume most people will come back with me and say, well, that means you're hiring a, a less qualified co- coach. Maybe. That, that may very well be the case. But I, I think largely to me, like you said, whether I'm hiring – an up and coming assistant that I believe to be the next best thing in the NBA, or if I'm hiring a coach that had coached years ago and is now making his way back, or I hire a guy that was coaching last year, I think is a coin flip no matter what. Like it doesn't matter what type of guy you're hiring. There's just so much that goes into these situations that anything could work and anything could fail. Yeah, and it's you know it, it, I I would agree you know you're you, you're basically trying to just weight the odds a bit in your favor, right? It, it, like I don't think there's a hundred percent slam dunk you know um, you know rigged game to be had necessarily with hiring a coach. Um, and I think as far as Budenholzer goes and the personnel stuff, I mean th- this is what we talked about when because because I've I've always been kind of skeptical of the whole the Bucks are gonna go for a big splash head coach. And part of that was probably me being wishful because I didn't want like the Jeff Van Gundy. I don't know who else would it be. I mean, Boonholzer would be like the splashiest coach that I would be okay with. Um, but I agree. Like, if you're John Horst, and officially, John Horst is the guy who is supposed to be leading this process, right? Officially, I, I don't think the Bucks would publicly admit that you know Wes Edens and Mark Lazary and Jamie Dynan are are hiring the coach, right? Officially it's going to be John Horse is going to hire our coach. Yeah. And you know, we'll we'll talk to him and we'll work with him blah blah blah. Um if you're John Horse, I 100% agree. Are you going to go hire a guy who is immediately going to have a target on your job because he's going to be paid, you know, I mean, Budenholzer is making 7 million dollars in Atlanta and he's owed that the next 2 years each. Um he, literally he's he makes 14 times as much money or 15 times whatever something on that order as much money as John Horst. So, you know, the the league and the Bucks effective well, we'll see if the Bucks were to hire him what they would pay Mike Boonholzer, but um but that that says something about how much they value your contribution to the team. And again, I mean, the the job of GM is very different from the job of coach, but I don't. I don't know. I don't. Th- th- there's not a lot of normal jobs in the real world where the 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 boss makes a fraction of what the guy who works for him makes. That that's a very like sports kind of thing to to have. Um, and and I agree. It it sets up a very strange power dynamic. And like if we were talking about Doc Rivers, I would say, well, Doc's gonna come in and he's just gonna try to Jason Kidd all over John Horst. Um, Budenholzer, I don't know. Maybe you know. Again, I don't know his personality as much, and obviously the circumstances of him becoming the president of basketball operations were strange. And you know, last year then he was taken out of that title, and again, I'm sure that didn't make him more uh, patient about being there for a rebuild. <laughs> but yeah. um, but again, we don't know. So I, I agree. I think that's 
you know, especially in the grand scheme of Bucks dysfunction and the Bucks sort of putting themselves in in awkward positions, if you do hire Budenholzer or any any of the other kind of really established guys, um, and I would say Fizdale probably is not in that crowd just because Fizdale literally only coached you know what a hundred games half, of yeah. regular season basketball. I think Fizdale is probably the most experienced guy that you could hire, or the most quote unquote proven guy you could hire that would probably be very willing to stay in his lane just because he didn't have any of that power in Memphis and he's just looking to get the best team possible probably to coach. And he's not he's also not a front office guy by trade. He's always been, you know, a coach. So I think probably Fizdale you could probably maintain that hierarchy even if you're paying him a lot more money. I mean, the next coach will make more money than John Horst. Like that no doubt. That, that's gonna happen, right? Um but it does matter if it's you know, Nick Nurse getting his first shot at being a head coach and he's just happy to be there versus, as you said, you know, a guy who has actually, you know, been an established coach has actually had that power previously. So so I agree. It's 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 difficult. And um, again, I think the argument, you know, again, that kind of goes to towards, you know, against sort of what the Bucks have just been doing in general is. All right. If you bring in the if the best head coach, let's say the best head coach or the the most sort of the safest sort of highest expected value coach was Mike Budenholzer, right? Which isn't an unreasonable thing to say, right? Um, And you bring him in and then he starts basically trying to, you know, be the guy that de facto runs the team. We've seen that story before, right? You know, I mean that that's worked in San Antonio where, where Budenholzer cut his teeth, right? Like he might also look at pop and say, well, it's worked with pop. R.C. Buford doesn't have as much power as Pop, but, you know, that works. Um, and I'll, I'll do the same thing here, right? Well, okay, uh, that's, that's a high bar. Um, but, yeah, I, I agree. It's, it's, it's setting yourself up for something awkward. And if Budenholzer does kind of push, push Horst around or, you know, basically kind of become more controlling than you'd want the coach to be, and there are a lot of reasons why you don't want the coach to be making personnel decisions, um, then, yeah, you would obviously say, well, you need a more powerful, you know, GM slash president of basketball operations. Okay. So are you going to just bring in a, a president of basketball operations now? And then <laughs> is that guy want to, going to want to keep Mike Budenholzer? Like, yeah. then you, then you end up in this backwards, whole backwards thing again of, you know, the, the cart coming before the horse and, and all that other stuff. So, so yeah, I agree. It, it It's going to be fascinating to watch because, there's absolutely a chance that the Bucks kind of back themselves into another sort of inverted hierarchy of, you know, coach basically having more more power or more, you know, effective sway or, you know, being held in higher regard than than the general manager. And I I mean I mentioned it coming into this year, this was the first time in the new ownerships era where the GM actually had more job security than the coach. And normally the GM hires the coach, so that's Yeah. That's kind of an interesting thing to have, um, you know, to not ever have a GM that that is more job security than the coach, um, you know. And you look at the best franchises, um, tends to be the opposite, right? I mean, Clear hierarchy. Yep. Yeah, Danny Ainge, Daryl Morey, um, maybe not Bob. Bob Myers maybe a little bit new. So that that example with Steve Kerr maybe isn't so much the case, but certainly in some of these teams that have had long-standing GMs, um, you know, there's no question who's going to go. If, uh, you know, well, I guess, I guess in Boston, it might be a little different, right? But, but effectively there, there's no doubt about sort of, you know, the, the, 
um, the pecking order in terms of who has say on personnel has always been clear, even since Brad Stevens has been there. So, um, so yeah, I agree. It's it's a can of worms. Let's say that. But again, like, how much do you weigh those things? How much are you willing yeah. to sacrifice and risk to get a coach who I think just from a coaching standpoint, you know, more experienced guys would tend to be lower risk. Yeah, it man, it to me that that kind of. I mean, underlies all of this. So it'll it'll be interesting to watch. Um, let me ask you one more question, and this is just ballooning this already monstrous uh, podcast, but what personally do you want to see out of the Bucks' next head coach? Like if there's – let's I'm going to limit you to three, three traits that you want to see in this ne- next Bucks head coach. Three traits, um, like abilities you'd say? However you want to do it, Frank. Just start the, talking. Yes. <laughs> oh, now after two years of doing this, now I'm suddenly going to get picky about like <laughs> how I need to answer the question. Um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting because it's like different guys kind of hang their hat on different things, right? Yeah. Um, I think it's some combination of. I think fundamentally, I mean, this was the conversation with around um, around uh, like we talked about Dan Tony um, a little while ago, right? When like when the Rockets were looking to hire a coach, like should they have hired a defensive coach because they were, had all this offensive firepower and they didn't play defense? So do you hire a defensive coach to sort of plug your weaknesses? Yeah. Um, and to me, I don't. I, I think as much as we all have thoughts about tactics and how the Bucks should play, I think fundamentally you are just trying to find a guy, a good coach who's going to be able to communicate with guys and reach people, right, and get yeah. the most out of people. And, you know, a guy like Fisdale obviously hangs his hat on, you know, having been sort of a LeBron whisperer in Miami. And um, obviously he was not the Marcus Hall whisperer. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, again, somebody who can communicate and motivate players, I think, is probably as essential as ever. Um, yep. I think you I do want somebody who I think tactically is innovative and willing to do things that um, a aren't necessarily sort of just traditional views of how the game should be played, but hopefully are also analytically sound and, and as somebody who actually embraces analytics rather than, you know, thumbs his nose at it the way Jason <laughs> Kidd did. So I think, again, sort of a communicator, somebody who, again, is going to figure out ways to maximize players, um, which, again, is kind of a, you know, obvious thing to say. But but I think, again, communication, you know, again, I think you guys will get into this. Some of these coaching coaches are probably – have more reputations for being disciplinarians or being yep. maybe less of communicators. I think that's important. Um, and then, yeah, I think just somebody who's going to be forward thinking and is going to want to, is going to realize that shooting three pointers is good and <laughs> is going to understand that, you know, defensively um, not giving up three pointers is good. Uh, yeah. You know, stuff like that. Right. I mean, it's, it's kind of obvious, but I think we've all been burned so much by the kid experience that, that those are probably two things, you know, basically I'm, I'm saying just hire somebody who's not Jason Kidd anyway. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. No, and I mean, not that that's something that you want to say, but it makes total sense. I just think that there's so many things and that you think about with Jason Kidd and you just think, man, I really wish this coach was the opposite of that. And you, you kind of listed some of those off, like just the, the mind games being played with players, like the opposite of that. Someone who's not playing mind games with players, someone who's actively trying to work with them and communicate with them. And someone who isn't retrograding their thinking, who doesn't uh, kind of thumb their nose at uh, 
new ways to think and new ways to play. Like, I think I, I, and it's weird to say that, like, those things all seem very obvious, but I 100% agree. Like, those are the things that I'm kind of circling as well. And it's funny because, I mean, I guess one thing would be say, well, somebody's going to, like, figure out a way to, like, fully leverage Giannis, right? That's an obvious one. Like, that's kind of job one, especially offensively with this team, but also defensively. Um, But uh, I don't know. I mean, to me, it's kind of an interesting question because it's like, and and I'm kind of thinking aloud here, but it's like LeBron. LeBron is incredible regardless of who coaches him. Yes. You know, Like, like LeBron under Spo was phenomenal. Those were arguably his best years. Those were also kind of his prime years. But it's like LeBron with Mike Brown was insane too. Yes. LeBron with David Blatt and Teron Liu was freaking insane. And he basically said, I don't really care what you guys are going to do coaching wise. I'm going to go do my thing. And is that the best thing for the Cavs? I don't know. But LeBron has been incredible regardless of who coaches him. And I think that's the case with a lot of great players, right? Like, you know, you just, you, you kind of just have on some level have to just sort of let them go and do their things and let them find their spots and, and kind of work from them. I think a lot of it is more in the way that you piece the, put the pieces around them. And again, like, I don't think the next coach is going to win because he got Giannis to average 30 points on 63% true shooting. Right. Um, it's going to be because, Maybe he was rough, doing roughly the same stuff, but he managed to figure out ways to make other guys benefit from Giannis more mm-hmm. and in ways that we haven't seen happen around him the last couple of years, right? I think that that's sort of an interesting kind of philosophical question, but again, I don't think necessarily the great the next head coach. I mean, look at look at what happened with Kyrie Irving. Kyrie Irving's stats in Boston under Brad Stevens. I think a lot of people thought he was going to put up Isaiah Thomas numbers. He didn't. Nope. He was basically the same guy statistically that he was in Cleveland with a far worse coaching staff where he had to share the ball with the greatest player in the world. Um, but they figured out how to play around him and, and yep. even play defense around him and do lots of good things and win a ton of games in ways that, you know, I mean, win more games than he won with LeBron James, right? <laughs> so um, so I think a lot of it is like, it's. I think people assume like, well, you gotta you gotta maximize Giannis, which means that Giannis has to be you know an MVP, and and yes, but if the Bucks won fifty eight games this year, Giannis might have been the MVP. You know, like yep. just take his numbers and transplant them onto a fifty eight win team that is a top five defense or whatever. Yep. Um, then you may win MVP. And again, not that this current roster is going to win fifty eight games next year, but um, just kind of underscoring that it's what you do around them. And again, it gets to the role players and all that other stuff. I think, and I think that's probably the tougher job for, for this next coach is, is how do you maximize those guys around Giannis, not just how you get Giannis <laughs> to be his, his best self. I mean, it's, it's impossible to screw Giannis up. Yeah. Because if so, this coaching staff probably would have done it right. Like yeah, the offensive and defensive schemes that just totally frustrated him on both ends didn't stop him from putting up an absolutely insane season where he was top 20 in almost every statistical category. Um, So it's just, I think that's a great point is that obviously you want Giannis to be maximized, but really you want Giannis to be the key that unlocks everything, not just Giannis. Like maximizing Giannis isn't the key. 
maximizing the Giannis that can maximize the rest of the roster is kind of the big thing there. So, um, okay, Frank, I think we're good. Unless you have anything else you want to add about the coaching stuff. Um, we're going to let this run for the rest of the week. So this would be your Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I think each of these is going to be hours of coaching. (laughs) I think it's going to be close to an hour each day with as long as this conversation just went, but it should be about an hour each day. And then if you guys have thoughts as we're going along, please tweet them at me. Uh, and then we can kind of, wrap things up uh, as long as Frank does his homework and listens each of those days uh, Frank and I can kind of go over some of that stuff and if you guys have questions um, maybe we can cover some of that stuff as well and kind of help everyone through this but like I said We'll post all this stuff up. Um, we'll have uh, Eric's Google Doc open um, that you can look at and then if you have things you want to add to it, please tweet at me or Eric and we can get that in there. It won't be able for you to edit it because well, you're assholes and you can't be trusted. Um, uh, Harsh. We had, we had a lot of nice, nice compliments today with people kind of end of season saying, Hey guys, thanks for, you know, sticking with this team and giving me something to listen to. And and now you're calling our listeners assholes. So I don't even, I don't even even know where to go with that. Eric. (laughs) The internet has been known to name things poorly um, when given the option of voting for it uh, before. And I don't know if a, a wide open document can be, trusted in the hands of others so that's all i'm gonna say um i love all of our listeners but the internet has been known to do bad things before so um if you want to add something to that you want some uh you find an article that you find interesting about any of these coaching candidates you find a youtube video um whatever it is send that to eric or i and we will add that to this document and then like i said hopefully this is a huge living document that you can just kind of go to and figure out what kind of coach you like. So that's kind of our goal uh, through all of this. With all that being said, we are going to say goodbye to Frank and we're going to say hello to Eric Benning, someone I'm calling the coach whisperer because he kind of put all of this together. Um, We discuss all of these uh, kind of topics that Frank and I discussed as well as break down each of these coaches going forward. Again, Eric is, has been on the Bucks internet forever, right? Like I'm trying to, he, he's been around for certainly as long as I've been a Bucks Twitter blogosphere type of person. And, um, Frank, you predate everyone. Um, but he's been around for a while. So you've probably seen Eric, uh, do some stuff at brew hoop. Um, and he's written stuff and obviously tweeted some stuff about the Bucks. So, uh, yeah, with all that being said, let's get to it. Eric name, Eric Benning talking about coaches. Here we go. All right, Eric. So I think the the best place to start here um, would just kind of be when you're thinking about a new coach, I think you're obviously going to go back to uh, probably the things you didn't like about the previous coach. Um, you're going to think about some of the, the growing trends around the rest of the league. You're going to think about uh, the things that you really want to see in a coach because it may be very um, individual and maybe very specific from person to person. Um, so I guess how I want to do this is kind of hear where you're coming from at this, kind of the things that, that you're pointing to. And I think before I let you do that, what I want to point out to people is that we could all have very different things in mind. You could think that you need a hard nosed defensive minded 
asshole of a coach. Like, maybe you think that is what this team needs. Like, maybe that's what you think these players need uh, to get through them to get the next level. Maybe you think the opposite of all those things. Maybe you think you need uh, a former player. Maybe you think you need um, a lifetime assistant. Maybe you think you need a former head coach. Like, everyone could have a different perspective on this. Um, But why I wanted to talk to you about kind of how you view this before going into the greater list of what you have drawn up um, was just because I think thinking about just thinking through those things is, it is one important for having this discussion at large, but also for you um, we're going to go through your list. So how you got to that list and how you put the, the coaches in the order that you put them, I think to me it makes sense that we need to figure out exactly what you were looking for in this process. Okay, well, uh, to start, you know, I think every Bucks fan is familiar with that, like, couple week or month stretch in winter where the team's not doing so well and you're getting mad. So you decide you're just going to go start looking at something else to uh, yeah. keep you occupied. So in, in doing that, um, I want to shout out Kevin Arnovitz first and foremost to uh, – his godfather. Uh, yeah, for the godfather, for creating all these lists every spring that kind of, um, you know, gets the ball rolling, gets you looking into certain candidates and whatnot. And obviously with someone with his clout, you you take that pretty uh, seriously. So with that being said, what I was looking for, I mean, in, in part was because of uh, Jason Kidd and, and wanting to do the opposite of that because it made people so unhappy and frustrated and whatnot. Um, but you uh, also looking at trends like pace and space and playing with joy and, you know, you don't want to use the Warriors as an example to strive towards, but that's kind of where I, I think the league's headed in terms of style of play and whatnot. So in doing and, all that... And as I say, I mean, I think that makes sense. Like, you don't want to say let's be the Warriors because yeah, if go be the Warriors, that'd be great. But you need that, like the talent to have all that, but the things that the Warriors do in, you know, kind of melding all of those personalities together and melding insane offensive talents and really strong defensive guys. Like they just like, there's that team ethos there. So like, again, this is all BS buzzwordy kind of stuff, but these things do exist. Like they are real. So I I get what you're saying. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and they exist and they've proven to, you know, be beneficial. I mean, you look at a couple of the most recent hires like Steve Kerr, uh, Luke Walton uh, names escape me right now, but it's all kind of trending towards that kind of ethos. Like you said, we're in say Minnesota, not to pick on them too much, but you know, Tibbs, isn't necessarily that guy and while it's while it's working for him you know it's it's a little bit of grading and um, hopefully not potentially damaging to the long-term health of the players but all that being said um, so looking through coaches and trying to identify you know like what what skill sets in a coach you want um, and how that you know would bring the best out of the bucks uh, I've come up with a couple of uh, points that I, I, I would like to see personally with the next next Bucks coach. So I think even though, you know, the defense gets picked on and rightly so, 
the offense, you know, though whatever it was, seventh or eighth or whatever, um, best offensive rating in the league this year, it's pretty mundane. And I, I mean, I'm not smart enough to know exactly what they're trying to do, but at least, you know, watching it, it, it looks predictable, um, a little bit slow, um, all those kinds of things. So with that being said, um, I guess you could say number one would be offensive creativity, you know, flexibility, um, a deep playbook, not that you have to have it be crazy, but just, you know, various plays. And <laughs> you don't want to see play. the wiper play 30 times in, in crunch right. time. That's what you're saying. They can keep it. <laughs> <laughs> just not the only play. Yeah. Like, what was that? A couple years ago, Draymond Green, uh, after, I don't know, some close Bucks Warriors game said, we knew exactly what they were going to run. Like, Yep. I don't know why you'd ever want that. So, yeah, a deep playbook um, and an emphasis on modern philosophies, you know, like valuing, you know, threes, layups, decreasing your mid-range shot percentage, you know, yep. and, and hunting those shots out. And you don't have to carry those things to the extreme, like the Rockets or I guess you could say the Warriors a little bit, mostly the Rockets, but just a, a, a more in-tune emphasis on on those types of shots um and then on the flip side this may be you know making it too simplified but someone who's defensively realistic willing to make adjustments Ooh, i know that yeah. may not that, <laughs> that not unlike the old regime no no it does it does not but uh, the fact that you were even saying that like yes defensively realistic is a good word for it i, I like that yeah. And, uh, you know, that comes with the people saying, oh, if they just, you know, the tamper down on whatever they're doing, it'd be fine. Like, I don't know if it's that simple, but just not being so stubborn with, oh, this is our system. This is how we're going to do it. Yep. Yeah. And then I, this is whatever. It's kind of a trivial quality to ask for in a coach, but uh, not an asshole would be great. Uh, I would tell you that I think most of the people in the organization would say that is a not so trivial point. Um, right. After the last, after the last three years of or three and a half years of dealing with Jason Kidd and kind of the way that he does things, and, and I mean, we obviously all heard about Jabari Parker and the relationship that they had. Like uh, again, it's it feels like something that you shouldn't need to say explicitly. Um, but I do think there, there's, there's some belief that, you know, among people that coaches do need to be that guy, right? Like you need to have a, an authoritative figure that can lay down the law and let people know. And again, that's a good thing. Um, but if it gets to be a blurred line where you're not really sure if that's happening or the guy's just an asshole like that. I mean, that's, that's a real thing. Um, so anything, anything else on the list? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so this, this is a little harder to, to, I guess, you know, get, have come across in an interview maybe, but, uh, someone who's big on, uh, like interpersonal relationships with the players and, you know, like finding something to connect with them and in turn, you know, helping bring about more development that way. Um, someone who's, you know, gonna gonna push them, not necessarily baby them, but you know, be on them to get better because there's a relationship there, and they 
they see whatever that is in the player and trying to get that out of them. Um, put another way. So someone who's competitive, not afraid to tell you, you know, this or that, but overall generally, you know, heading towards something positive and not just harping on what this player can or cannot do. And, and I think in that, like, it's just kind of the idea of, knowing whose buttons you can push knowing what those buttons are and knowing how often to do so right like uh if you have a guy i mean and again i hate to keep bringing up to parker but like with your parker if you know he's struggling defensively maybe don't crush him for doing that and maybe don't use him as a scapegoat for why your defense is bad like you got to find a way and that goes back to the other things like being flexible defensively and trying to figure out uh, creative ways to make this work like you want to be able to manage all of those relationships and you have to find a way to do that across the board with all these players so um i think that makes a lot of sense um i think you're you're through with all of your uh criteria i wanted to go back to offensive creativity it was something that i could just kind of let you move on and i should have hopped in first but it i think this all of these are very interesting because the bucks are in such a, a kind of strange place because offensive creativity we saw this team this year be the seventh best offense in the league so how much more do they have to gain there? Is that a, like a, a huge deal? And I, I do think it, that it is because as you've, as you saw the bucks in the playoffs, like they struggled at times um, to score baskets. They, there wasn't creative ways to get buckets. Um, it was so much dictated by the one-on-one scoring ability of Chris Middleton, of Giannis Tedekumbo, of Eric Bledsoe at times, of Dwight Parker at times. Like good that is concerning when once you get into the playoffs and again you you can't scheme everything open in the playoffs but if you do have a system that you can fall back on when things get tough and uh, you have a deep playbook and you can do some of those things i I just think that's really big but at at the at the lowest level for all these things like i think it's tough to figure out exactly where the bucks are like obviously they have this crazy defensive scheme so maybe if you have a defensive-minded guy he fixes that. And then even if the offense is ugly, like it was this past year, you know that you have enough talent that it can still be good enough for your really good defense. But if you're really great offensively and then like you get to top three, top five offensively, and you can get the defense to top 10 to 15, like, okay, then you have a really good team that way. And you mentioned, you know, finding the way to be hard on guys, but then also, uh, like encourage development. The bucks again, are in an an interesting spot where they do need to be finding that next level. They do need, need to be finding, uh, the way to win games and get to winning championships. But there is still some development for all a number of these players left. Like, uh, even if you just look at the two best players on the team, you look at Giannis and you look at Chris Middleton, like those two guys took step forwards this year. And I think it's safe to assume might still have another step. Certainly in Giannis's case, he has probably multiple steps, but even with Chris, like Chris probably has another step forward. Like there's still some more of that. And that's not even getting into the fringe guys where a guy like Thon maker, if you can unleash Thon maker, okay, you made your team way better and it's because you did it through development and you found a way to get that guy better. Um, DJ Wilson, um, 
Sterling Brown, like any of those guys, like no matter what I feel like on any basketball team at any level, even if you have the best team in the league, like the Warriors still went out and developed Quinn Cook. They get, mm-hmm. no matter no matter where you're at on that life cycle, you like you still need to have that. So I think those are all important things. Um, anything else you want to add before we start actually getting into the nitty gritty of players? Uh, well, just going back to offensively and like why why I'm personally choosing offensive over defensive. I think we might have touched on this a little bit just earlier ago, but like I I, I don't know if there's necessarily defensive upside. In terms of like what what's you know been untapped and like what you can get out of certain guys, I think we've seen that and it's like kind of short wired a little bit and you kind of have to walk that back and reteach something a little different. But on mm-hmm. offense, there's well maybe this is just me being optimistic because all or most of my candidates are offensive guys, but like there seems like there's a whole ton of space for like you guys you said Thonmaker uh, DJ Wilson to get on the floor space it shoot it yeah uh, um, guys like Giannis to uh, utilize that space guys like Bledsoe Chris to actually have like breathing room when they when they when they drive and someone like Tony Snell to just fire away and not have it be so critical if he misses um, I guess you want him to make it but still uh, there's just a, a whole lot of room, at least in my opinion, on that end. To if they go, you know, eighth to third or second, like I think that difference is way bigger than the improvements they can make on defense. In my opinion, yeah, no, I, I think, like I said, I think the Bucks are an interesting team because I think you could go into any of these interviews, any of these prospective coaches that we're going to talk about, you could go into the interview room and put a compelling case forward for why you can make this a top five defense and why you can make this a top five offense. I think, I think you, I honestly think you might have those arguments like just because Giannis is so good defensively that you could probably find a way to convince anyone in that room that, you know what, we're going to start doing this and we're going to be a top five defense. And offensively i think it's very easy they were they were seventh in offense this year with bad schemes so um that's why i I mean i I just think this is this is so interesting to me um kind of how it all plays out because the bucks are i I mean really just a big ball of clay right now like you can mold them in really any way um so it'll be fun to watch that um all right we good to go into the list here Uh, can i i'm gonna add one more little thing and using your ball of clay um reference go for it when we talk about offense we're not saying they have to be insane like they don't have to run plays that take 10 seconds to develop with like everyone moving at once it's just you know maximizing space and you know shot value and stuff like that we're not we're not saying anything we're not asking for anything crazy. So, and and you, I was going to say, you already mentioned it, like modern philosophies, like just an emphasis on spacing, um, an emphasis on taking the right type of shots. Like, I think that's, that's all stuff that wasn't happening this year. Right. Um, and that's simple and, and could really help. All right. First off for the list, um, I have it in front of me right now. We're going to go from the bottom of the list to the top of the list. Um, and I'm sure as all of you are listening, you're probably going to be really mad when you hear someone you like at the bottom of the list. And I'm sorry. Um, and 
I'm sure there's going to be some of you out there that are really happy when we get to the top of the list and uh, someone that you like is in that spot as well. Um, so that's fun. You can tweet at us. And um, the one thing I will say is Eric and I are really big on the idea of you can have an opinion on coaches. Like, that's totally fine. I just want you to bring something to the table. Like, don't just don't just yell at me because someone's rated somewhere where you don't like them and then not be able to tell me why your guy is better. Like as long as you, you, you have some, uh, some reasoning behind why you believe in that person, like that's totally fine with me because like I said, this list is going to be different for everyone. Um, don't just say like, Oh, you're an idiot for thinking this person while either not, reading through the links that we're going to show you not knowing anything about that person because what eric's done here is created essentially a cheat sheet for all of these people and you can find it um, on his twitter he's going to throw the google doc up and you'll be able to go through kind of all those articles and uh, be able to look through some of those things and um, my hope is and again maybe this is just me being hopeful like if there's someone on this list that you really like send some links our way and then Eric can update that person on the list and maybe he'll keep them lower on the list because it's still his list and he can do what he wants. Um, <laughs> but right. uh, if you, if you are into someone like go do some research and let us know. So then that way this can be four bucks fans, a way to know whatever it is about the coach, right? Like whatever coaches we may hear rumors about, you may be interested in that can go, on this list. So, um, that would be just something I would want to say, uh, before we get started on this. And, uh, I think we're also going to throw it up at brew hoop. Um, so you can do that as well. Throw it in the comments there. Our buddy Mitchell Maurer will grab stuff from the comments as well. And hopefully we can fill out this list and make it as comprehensive as possible. And then you can really get a good handle on, you know, the, the different possibilities for the bucks, uh, potential coaching candidate. As you can tell, we have not actually talked about any coaches. Uh, this is a larger conversation. So this is part one of that conversation. You got to hear what Frank and I think about a coach, what you're looking for in that coach, and you know what could be a good fit. You've got to hear Eric and I discuss that a little bit as well. And now we will move to actual coaches. That will be what takes up part two and part three of this conversation. We'll start at the bottom of Eric's list and move up from there. So we'll start at the lowest priority guys tomorrow and then move up the ladder to the highest priority guys on Friday. Throughout all this process, uh, I will tweet out links to kind of our research page uh, that will have some of the stuff for uh, any coaches that you know you want us to start researching or coaches that you're thinking about. Uh, we will release Eric's list and his notes and all of that uh, that we already mentioned here on Friday. Uh, also, the post at brewhoop.com will go up with that as well. So it'll be a little bit of a wait for the actual document because, you know, we don't want to ruin anything. No spoilers for you as you listen uh, in the coming two days. So we will do part two tomorrow, part three on Friday, and you heard part one today. So hopefully you're happy and willing to come along on the ride and help us figure out exactly who it is, what what you're looking for as the Bucks' next head coach. So that'll be the next three days of the podcast, and we will have the start of actual coach discussion tomorrow. So be sure to join us for that. For Eric Benning, for Frank Madden, for Eric Name, this has been Lockdown Bucks. We will talk to you tomorrow.